the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go. Mental health is my wealth. The stress up on the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seeking ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence. The big silence. Hello. Welcome. It is the second week of January 2023. We are here. Hallelujah, right? We have made it to 2023, and I am so far. I have a new calendar. Do you all do this? Part of my, let's say, resolutions or intuition, whatever you want to call it, I have a new calendar that's more based on goals for the entire year, checklists, because you know I'm really, I am obsessed with checklists, but I'm bringing myself back to those checklists. But also with my checklist. It's not about doing everything at once. My goals are rebuilding the things that I've lost in the past two years. I'm from being in a different headspace from not only, as we know, what happened in 2020 and beyond, but also with still through my therapy, I've been realizing that I'm coping with a lot of trauma and healing through my mother. So I'm giving myself this extra grace where I have my calendars and I have the checklist of X amount of days I want to work out, X amount of days I want to meditate, X amount of days I get in the cold plunge or the sauna, or X amount of days I do self-care, and X amount of days I have these different career and work goals, but also realizing that I don't have to check every box off and being okay with that. And allowing myself that freedom recently has been really freeing because I think there's so much pressure in the new year that you got to do it all right now, right now. And I realize that's not sustainable. So I am proud of myself because it is January, let's say, 4th right now. And I have meditated two days this year. I have not made it to the cold plunge. I have not made it to the sauna. I have checked off my box of reading a few pages every day and my career goals and reaching out and working on everything that we're doing for the Big Silence Foundation for 2023 and allowing myself, because I'm that type of person, it's like, I got to do this, 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 this. 
but just being like, girl, just live in joy. Live in joy. So I am excited, number one, to introduce today's guest, Asia Mayrock. If you don't know her, you should know her. Once I found Asia on social media through her poetry, I was like, I got to have her on the podcast. And so Asia is a best-selling author, poet, and performer. Emily's over here. What did I say? It was from being bullied all the way to Madison Square Garden. This girl has, she's a powerhouse. And when she was 16 years old, she wrote her first book, The Survival Guide to Bullying. And just a beautiful poet. You have to go follow her. We'll have everything in the show notes. But um, she performed poetry at venues like, obviously, Madison Square Garden, South by Southwest, here in Austin, which is coming up soon. Again, Girl Boss Rally, the United Nations General Assembly, Pop Sugar Playground. We were there, too, with Tone It Up. She's done work with Bumble and Samsung, Saks Fifth Avenue, and many, many more. And the beautiful thing that I love is that we open up this podcast with a poem that she wrote and recites so eloquently. It's called, Who Do You Want to Be? And so when we were talking before the podcast, I was like, hey, Asia, would you be willing to open up with this poem? And she was like, absolutely. And I had listened to the poem five or six times while just preparing for the podcast. And like it brought me to tears. And I think that you will all love this message as well. And then I love that Asia wanted to end the podcast with a poem. So here you are, uh, the Big Silence podcast with Asia Mayrock. Enjoy, listen, learn, and share if there's someone that you know that needs to hear this. All right, and welcome back to the Big Silence Podcast. I am very excited for our guest today, as you already know, Asia Mayrock. I was looking up Asia and just kept playing Who Do You Want to Be, her poem, like five times in a row, because it just really hit me hard about what the Big Silence is about and talking to our youth. So Asia, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm going to jump into the poem. And this poem I wrote right after my first book, The Survival Guide to Bullying, came out. And I wanted to tell my story or part of my story with bullying and my journey with mental health in a poetry format so that when I went and spoke to schools and spoke to young people, I was speaking to them in a way where I was meeting them where they were versus talking at them. And that's where this poem came from. And I did not expect for it to be to become as successful as it did or, or to resonate at the level it did. So that's where it came from. And here we go. I'm going to tell you a story about the power of words, about your own voice and being heard, the power to heal, the power to hurt. On Halloween of my freshman year, a girl I had never met who attended my old school dressed up as me as her costume. 
And suddenly it was like someone pressed resume. I was all consumed by cyberbullying, harassment, and my past. You see, I'd spent eight years being bullied. Crowds would amass to telecast hate, try to obliterate their very own classmate. And so when this happened, I sunk into my chair, defeated with this blank stare in my eye, thinking this is it. I can't keep trying to get by. A few weeks later, my life would change. It was a regular day, nothing strange, until I read the news about a boy. 16 years old, he couldn't hold on any longer, couldn't be any stronger. It said suicide due to bullying. And something in me said, Asia, you cannot wait any longer. You see, I know what it's like to lose your fight. And I know what it's like to take back your life. But how could I let kids struggle every day without showing them that it's going to be okay? I couldn't find the answer. How do you help kids around the world? What is the answer? Do I have a voice? I didn't know. Do I have the power? I won't let go. But I'm not going to lie. I was hesitant from head to toe. And then my mom said to me, Asia, you got to be brave. Tell your story. If not you, who will tell the story of the millions of kids bullied every single year? And suddenly it became clear. And she said to me, who do you want to be? What do you want to achieve? What do you believe? I want to be who I needed when I was younger. I want to achieve more than I ever thought was possible. I believe in standing up, standing up. I'm not backing up, easing up or shutting up. I'm going to make a change. So I put pen to paper, rearranged the thoughts that poured from my brain and created a book that goes by the name, The Survival Guide to Bullying. The book Asia needed when she was 10, 12, 15. It just came a few years late, but hopefully it would show everyone else how to communicate, love your weight, your sexual orientation or your growth rate. Because it doesn't matter what anyone says to you, whether you are gay, straight, trans, lost, found, alone, sad, scared, or different. We are all different, unfinished, sufficient. We all fight our own battles each day. We all must be accepting of our wounds that don't always fade away. So I'll leave you with this and say, I promised myself that I would take a stand, try to save others by holding out my hand, but I cannot fix this problem on my own. I need people like you to get up, hold your head high, raise your hand and say, I will not let another kid feel like someone else's prey. Whether you are the bully, the bullied or the bystander, today is a new day. Stand up, don't back down and be brave. Thank you. Well, that wraps it up. (laughs) I think anyone listening here, let's just take a deep breath in right now and exhale it out. Your words are so powerful, Asia, and thank you because that message has hit so many of our youth across the world. And the power and the confidence of someone, I I decided I was going to name this podcast, Being Bullied All the Way to Madison Square Garden. Oh, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right. Well, let's take it back to 
Little Asia, where you came from and what it, how you got here just as a child and what you're experiencing and how you, I have so many questions, especially for the youth, as you know, and we were talking before this, like I grew up in the nineties when no one was talking about mental health and like you were just on your own Mm. and you have such a strong voice and the ability to change so many lives. And I'm glad that your mama told you to have a voice and speak up, but let's go back. How was it? So, you know, you grew up with a speech impediment and you were bullied. Yeah. So I had two speech impediments. I had a lisp and a stutter and some learning disabilities. And the bullying really began with the way I spoke. I would come to school in third grade and my classmates would just mock the way I talked. So they would say, what's that, Ava? What do you have to say? Mimicking my lisp or my stutter. And unfortunately, many of my teachers actually joined in on the bullying as well. It was a really, really mob mentality type of environment, which is actually very common in a lot of schools. And so that went on. And I did speak up in the beginning and I did ask for help as things got worse. But unfortunately, very quickly, I gave up on myself and I just kind of took it and I got quiet and I kind of retreated to a, a shell of myself and stopped advocating for my own mental health and my own situation. And that's something to this day that I regret and that I really speak out a lot on when I talk to young kids that might be going through it. But I wound up going through it for eight years. And when I was in ninth grade, a girl that I had never met who went to my old school dressed up as me for Halloween. And she posted this picture online and it kind of went viral in the community. And I got death threats and hate comments and cyberbullying at a level I had never experienced before. And I didn't have any like public social media at the time. Like I was a regular high school kid. And at that point, I hit a really low place with my mental health. And thankfully, at that point, I did open up to my parents and I kind of let the floodgates open and told them about what I had been dealing with for so many years. And that period turned into a period of a lot of processing and healing and also creating. And it's when I began to write my first book. Okay, so take me back. I was just in awe when you said the teachers joined in. I mean, I, I please pray that today we have educated ourselves on the effects of bullying and what it does to the youth. Have you ever gone back to speak to your teachers? Not to the teachers that I had at my school, but when this cyberbullying incident happened, I went to the school and I spoke to the administrators um, that were like high up at the school and I told them, I don't want this girl to get in trouble, but I just, I need you to know what's happening in your school and what's been happening. Because if someone hurt themselves because of this behavior that doesn't begin and end with me, um, I would feel guilty that I didn't tell you that this was a problem. And they looked at me and they said, well, what are we supposed to do? And so that is a, I found a very common, or I don't know if it still is, but it used to be a very common response where a lot of schools and administrators just felt kind of helpless in the face of rampant bullying. And in many ways, I understand why, because especially with social media and cyberbullying, it's impossible to control it. So that's what happened in my experience. Yeah, well, that's why you're out there doing the work that you do. And that's why we're here. It's it's, to us, it's awful. And so what would um, a message for parents, how to recognize in your kid that they are struggling and 
being bullied in school? I would say that there are signs early on that progressively can get worse. So that could be a change in eating habits, a change in grades, the school alerting you that, yeah, they're not doing well in school, they're not turning in homework, they're not participating in class. If you see that your child is more withdrawn and less open and just my bo- entire, my mom always says my entire body language changed. Like I became, my posture completely changed. I was very hunched over and my head was looking towards the ground always. I started changing the way I dressed and wore very baggy clothes because I was struggling with my body image and my eating habits changed. And there's, there are changes. And un- unfortunately, sometimes they are a little harder to see and everyone is so busy and parents have an enormous amount on their plate. But I would say if you do start to see some of these types of signs, it's really important to try to have conversations where you can peel back the layers on what might be happening. And I think kids can do a very good job at building an emotional wall. That's something that I was incredible at and really not being willing to communicate. And so I always tell parents there are certain questions that you can begin to peel back those layers. Like, oh, who did you sit with at lunch? Who did you play with at recess? Are you, do you have like any play dates that you want to have? And just see like, are their friendship groups changing? Are there people that they were close with that suddenly they're not being surrounded by anymore? And then those are kind of, I think, entry points to bigger conversations. Yeah. You started writing your book, A Survival Guide to Bullying, at age 16. Did you have a close group of friends around you or did you find writing was your escape and your healing? At the time, I did not have a close group of friends. I was really still, you know, I think when you're struggling a lot after an experience like bullying and the mental health repercussions of it, it's hard to trust people. It's hard to open up and be willing to have those conversations and have and have new friends. And so I didn't have a, a close group of friends and instead writing was really my outlet and it was my way of expressing myself and working through my own emotions. And that's really what birthed the book. So you say eight years that you were bullied. So what grade and what ages was that for you? Third grade through 10th grade. So I always think, because I went through trauma for 30 years, and I'm like, it takes more than 30 years to overcome that. How do you feel like you are today after eight years? I feel that I am really great. And I also feel that it is a lifelong journey Mm -hmm. of working through and processing and healing. And everyone obviously goes through different types of trauma. And a lot of people get through so, so, so much worse. And so I feel very lucky to like, at the end of the day, I always say like, I had an incredible family that I could go to. I didn't because I didn't have the language to talk about what I was experiencing. And I felt like no one would understand and I felt like things might be made worse if I told people, but I knew that I had that support and that's such a gift that unfortunately so many people don't have. And so I think that in many ways I was so, so lucky. And then this process of you know working through it is obviously something that takes a lot of time, but you know it's something that I still work on. And I'm very, very aware of the people that I am close to in my life because I think that one thing I learned was once I found my tribe, in a sense, my people that treated me the way that that I deserved to be treated and cared for me and loved me for who I really was, 
it was very, very healing. And so to this day, that's something that I'm very cautious and aware of in the friendships and the people I have in my life. Yeah, because when you speak about overcoming trust issues, because I had that too with my mom being schizophrenic and her thoughts and what she thought was real, she would implant in me. And then it took many, many years to find out what was real and what was fake and the stories that were told. And then putting all of my love and trust in her and then realizing, I mean, you can imagine that this is all not real. And so I never wanted to trust. I never wanted to be in a relationship. I never wanted to love again. And now I've been with somebody amazing for 10 years and was able to overcome that through a lot of work. So what was your process to overcome the ability to trust again? I think that it was a combination of, for me, writing was something that really saved my life and really helped me work through so much. I, to this day, don't know how I really feel until I write it out. And then definitely therapy was something that was really helpful for me and still is. Being lucky enough to over time meet people that changed the way that I looked at friendships and trusting people and like meeting. I remember the first time I met people that I felt really comfortable and safe with. I was 17 and those people were such a pivotal point in my life because it began to chip away at those kind of trust issues. And so I think it takes a lifetime probably, but I do all these little things whenever I can to um, ensure that. So you mentioned different trauma levels and I always hear from people, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal or this and everyone has more trauma than me. But I think it's important to recognize that everyone has a different kind of way that trauma affects them and no trauma is too small that it affects you for your entire life. Like what you went through, your classmates were saying that you should kill yourself. Like that's awful and that's traumatic and to work through that. But love, I love how you have taken your trauma and turned it into something beautiful to help others in that space. So let's go through... Well, actually, before we go, my next question, I wanted to go back to your, your low place in mental health. What did that look like? Your lowest, like how did you feel and how did, I mean, we know how through your tools of how you got out of it, but just in case anyone's listening and said, and says, I am feeling this way, but I can look to Asia and be like, I can get through this. I felt completely worthless. Like I lost all self-esteem and self-confidence and I felt very hopeless, but I would feel differently about life and about myself. And I think that that's unfortunately a really common thing that a lot of young people struggle with. But yeah, I remember feeling like things would always be this way. I would always hate myself. I would always feel unwanted and and like everyone hated me. And that's also the unbelievable power of cyberbullying. Like that was, I really feel is one of the most dangerous forms of bullying because it can be one person attacking you, but it can feel like everyone hates you. And I think when you're really young and experiencing that, it can do a, a very, take a very big toll on your, your mental health. Yeah. Okay. So how does Asia go, as we said earlier, from being bullied all the way to Madison Square Garden? I want to hear that journey. You went through hell and you overcame, you took control of your life. You did your writing, your therapy, you did all the work. And then how do you end up where you are today. I never ever would have thought that 
it got here. I mean, it was a very unconventional path, I will say. So basically when I was in high school, um, I was writing and that was my outlet and I was submitting my writing into writing competitions and starting to build a sense of myself, a sense of my confidence and strength in my own voice. And then there were a lot of stories in the news about young people all over the world who took their life because of bullying. And I was so angry that no one showed up for them and that they thought that suicide was the answer and that they had no support system to help them through that period of life. And I didn't know what to do. And I just felt angry and restless. And I just began to write and ultimately wrote my first book. And I self-published it because I had no idea how you go about publishing a book. Mm -hmm. One month after I self-published it as this ebook online, Scholastic found it and they wound up acquiring it. And then five months later, it came out and it became a bestseller. And then when I went on my book tour, that's when I wrote my story into poetry and began performing that poetry all over at schools, at public libraries, at universities. And then ultimately, I honestly can't remember how Madison Square Garden reached out. I think it might have been that I was on a TV show, like on a, on a news interview show. Mm-hmm. And I think they saw me. And then I shared the poem with them. And then that's how I got there. So, okay. I mean, I've gone there for a Billy Joel concert, but (laughs) never on stage. So explain that process of you. I mean, I'm sure you're so proud of yourself. I always say, I am damn proud of myself and the woman I've become from the girl that was just self-loathing and hurting herself. I want to know what emotions were going through you as you are walking onto stage at Madison Square Garden. Oh, okay. Well, the so I wound up performing there a few times. And the first time I had bronchitis <laughs> and I was really, really sick. And I had no voice until, and like, I was I, it was like, obviously this is, you know, a crazy dream that like, I was like, I'll never ever have this experience again. And I was backstage like chugging hot tea and just praying that I would have a voice for a few minutes. And thankfully I did. And I think when I rewatched the video, I couldn't even really hear that I was that sick, but I was very sick. Um, yeah. So it was, I, and I also definitely blacked out when I was performing <laughs> because it was just, I'd never been in front of that many people in my life. And I was sharing something that I had shared at schools and I had performed, but not for 18,000 people. And there is something though about being in front of 18,000 people. It's so shocking to the system that I think it's so hard to even process that. So it's kind of like an out-of-body experience. It's truly like one of the most amazing feelings I've ever felt, but it's completely bizarre because I think it's, it's, uh, I mean, I'm also not an artist that is in stadiums all the time. So like being in that space and having that experience is so out of body, mind boggling, amazing. So would you consider yourself an introvert or extrovert? Ooh, you know, I I think about this a lot because I'm definitely introverted in many ways. Like I don't, I can't be around people for like too long, but at the same time, I, I get my energy from being around certain kinds of people. Isn't there like a new term? I'm looking over at Emily. The new term, if you're not an introvert or extrovert, you're a, what is it? There's something else like the, I I know. Well, I just had to take a personality test, (laughs) Um, a Hogan thing for like a work thing. And they're like, it's so strange. You're an introvert. I'm like, yeah. 
They're like, but your job is talking to people and being on stage. I'm like, yeah, I love that. But then I just have to go hide in a cocoon for a few days. <laughs> so yep, I totally hear you. <laughs> oh, so Emily, she works with us at The Big Silence. She just sent me a, a question from Emily. How did you work through your speech impediments to perform vocally the way that you do? Um, your power blows my mind. Thank you. I went to a speech therapist a few times, like, I don't know, maybe three or four times. And honestly, it didn't really help me. I don't know why, but I think my stutter went away first and that was easier for me. But my lisp, like, it was very hard for me to get rid of it. And then ultimately, I would recite poetry over and over and I would use the techniques I learned in speech therapy, which are I also found online, like different exercises. And I would do it over and over. And then over the course of years, it went away. But it it took so long. And when I first started performing, when I when my book came out, I was still kind of insecure about my voice because I thought that maybe it would come out while I was performing or people would hear it. And I was just so used to being so mocked like through high school and middle school and everything about it. So it was just this insecurity that no one else could really see, but I really felt a lot. And ultimately, I think when I would perform over time, I fell so in love with it and I fell so deeply into the performance that that part of my brain shut off and I had already worked through more of the logistical aspects of a list. And then I recognized over time that it just wasn't showing up anymore. So. Did you notice people treating you differently once you did that work and you didn't have the speech impediments? It's hard to say because I was out of high school by then. So the people that I met didn't know me for, Mm -hmm. didn't know me having a list. Yeah. Okay. Back to Madison Square Garden. You go on stage, you rock it the first time, and then you said you've been there two or three times casually. You're like, oh, yeah, I've been there like two or three times. <laughs> <laughs> so what were the other two two times like? And how do you process that? It was amazing. I, I have to think there's this woman that that saw me. I, I think it was through this interview show. And she wound up developing this partnership with me and New York Liberty because New York Liberty is all around. I mean, it's you know WNBA. So it's all around. A lot of their messaging is around empowerment of women and girls and finding your voice and and your kind of mission in life. And so she really gave me these opportunities and I have so much thanks for her for that. And so the the rest of the times that I performed there were very similar, but I would say that it got easier. I was always nervous every single time, no matter what. And to me, I'm always nervous when I perform live. And if I'm not nervous, there's a problem, but it got easier and more enjoyable the more times that I did it for sure. And then like, you know, I, one time I think there was some issue with my mic or I don't know, something. And, and I learned so much from things happening in front of so many people that might be out of your control and learning to just kind of roll with it and stay in the heart and soul of, of the performing of poetry. I love that. My sister, Rachel is a poet. She's also our executive director at the big silence. And to be able to have your voice and your poetry just change people's thoughts and lives is such a beautiful thing because it is just like a musician or an artist. It's such a gift. 
So what is the future of Asia look like? What are your dreams? What are you doing? How are you continuing to be a rock star and helping people? Thank you. Oh, so many things that I hope to do. Um, so I am writing a lot, but working on a little bit different types of writing projects at the moment. I love to write for screen as well. So I'm really curious and passionate about writing for film and TV and telling stories in that way. And I love to tell stories that make people question their views on certain things and certain kinds of people and and just kind of challenge people to open their heart more, open their mind more. I think that that's a really powerful part that storytelling can take form in. And something I am also really passionate about is talking about ageism and elderly people. So for the last three years, I've been volunteering with Holocaust survivors in Brooklyn, where I live. And many of them live below the poverty line and are food insecure and have stories of trauma that I I cannot even fathom how these people survived and built lives. And then I've also seen on the flip side, the way that ageism affects them and the way that they're treated in the system. And so that's something I'm very passionate about and hope to do some work in in the future and just continuing to write and create and tell stories. And hopefully they make an impact on people all over. Well, we definitely need more Asia's. I love that you use the word you're curious because I was just talking to my therapist last week and we were talking about how some people get, um, this is for anyone listening, like people are like, what is your purpose? What is your passion? And that can be like super heavy and be like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I need a purpose. I need a passion. Like, you know, like you have one and I have one. We know our passion, but you reframing that word of curious. And I've been talking about that word a lot the last week. Like, instead of putting so much pressure on yourself, like, what is your purpose? Like, what are you curious about? Because curious is such, it's so much less intimidating than what is your purpose. Because you can- I love that. Right? You can try anything. You can be like, I'm curious of doing this. I'm curious. And it's kind of just this open door of, I'm going to start using that word instead. I'm like, I'm curious of doing this. No pressure. Just try it. You're curious. I love that. I also, someone once told me the key to never growing up in the best possible way Mm -hmm. is to see the world through a child's gaze, no matter how old you are. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's always stuck with me because I, when I meet people that are in their like eighties and nineties, and they have this like insatiable desire for life and for new experiences and for learning, it's because they do look at the world through quote unquote, a child's gaze with wonder and joy and curiosity. I absolutely love that. Yeah. So anyone listening, this is our new challenge for 2023. We're going to stay curious. We're going to try new things. Maybe write a poem. Oh, this is what I had for anyone. I mean, I always promote journaling and everything else. And I know, I think there's a poet and an artist in all of us. And maybe you don't recognize it. But what are some tips? Like someone wants to start writing and putting thoughts down and create poetry. Okay, so I completely agree with you. I think there is a writer, creator, and artist in all of us. I think that the biggest hurdle that anyone who wants to write faces is their own mind. It is the self-doubt and it is the inner critic. And if you can conquer that, even for five minutes, you are on the right path. Or if you can embrace it and use it in the writing. And so something that I struggle with this a lot. So for me, one thing that I do is um, I say to myself before I write something, 
no one will ever see this. I'm the only one that will ever see this. And if I hate it, I throw it out. And I think that's a good way to begin. Maybe incorporating something into your everyday life, like morning pages from the artist's way that I'm a huge fan of, which is every morning, three pages, stream of consciousness style, written by hand, whatever comes to mind. It can be, I hate this over and over and over. It can be anything. And that practice, I think, can be very helpful. And then the last thing that I love and I talk about is I once learned a writing exercise that changed my life. It's the most basic thing ever, but it will really help silence that inner critic. So basically, you put out a timer and you pick five random words. You can use the word generator. You can ask a friend to give you five words. And once you hit the timer go for five minutes, you have to write a short story right then and there or a poem or anything using those five words in under five minutes. And what I learned that this does is it makes your brain have to tackle so many different things at once under a time constraint that it silences that self-doubt and that inner critic for those five minutes and allows you to really write. And this is something that to this day I use very often because I really do struggle with the self-doubt before I'm writing. And so that writing exercise, I think, can be really helpful. I love that because I haven't been journaling. I mean, I've written a book and I have like all my journals as a kid and a lot of them are excerpts and poems are in my book, but I like stopped writing because even myself, after I finished my book, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And then the self-doubt, but I love that like five minutes. And Emily, we're going to do that at the big silence office. Maybe we're we're going to have our big silence holiday party after this. Maybe that'll be our little thing that we do together. You have? (laughs) I love that. Like everyone can just, and then to uh, the stream of consciousness writing too, it's literally just to go into more detail of this, that you can do it at home in the morning. It's like, literally don't even think, just write, 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 write a few pages. And yeah, that's the important thing. Like you can throw it away. No one's going to see it. I love that. It's beautiful. Well, Asia, any last few words or words of wisdom, words of poetry? words of encouragement to anyone out there? I would say that, hmm, there's a little short poem. Maybe I can read super short. I, I would love, uh, I, you could, it can be long. I can listen to your poetry all day long here and be inspired. So yeah, let's wrap it up with another poem from Asia. So let me find it because I think I might not have it by memory. So give me one second. Do you actually, do you memorize all of them? Yeah. Like the one I performed is memorized. Most, the long ones are all memorized. It's actually the short ones that I don't have memorized. (laughs) So weird. Um, There is a fire raging inside of you. Do not allow anyone to try to extinguish it. It is mighty. It is brave. It is you. And so on those nights when you think you are broken, Remember the flame and feel it burn. Thank you, Asia Mayrock. Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. 
Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it. Here's to radical self-love, the type of love that will defeat anxiety, the type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to dig in, to be who you already are. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. The big silence. The big silence.